So, Gus, what's been happening in the world of movies, movies, movies? In the world of movies, 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 what's not happening? We're all flying about, we're all running about, trying to see what we can, think what we can, assess what we can. I mean, movie news generally is quite slow in a way, I think because since most export entertainment exports we get are from Hollywood, the sag after. AFTRA strikes means that many films are not coming out. So, when you go through movie news, most movie news is either uh, assessing the financial successes of Barbie and Oppenheimer and Talk To Me, which I guess it's nice that Talk To Me, which is an Australian film, is doing quite well. But otherwise, it's that and then people who are at the Venice Film Festival right now writing reviews, which is nice, but it's also like, we're not there, so we can't see them. Uh, The things that I do think are exciting, though, about the Venice Film Festival is... Poor Things. Have you seen the trailer for that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo. Always. It's by Yorgos Lanthimos, who made The Lobster, maybe you've seen, Killing of a Sacred Deer. I'm really excited because it's people are really liking it, and they're like, this is so horny. Sex is coming back to movies. I cannot get enough of <laughs> horny movies, you know? It's just, I think, horny movies, horny books, we need more of them. I, we need to embrace them. And actually, maybe this is a good, like, this is a good transition into potentially talking about The Idol, which I have not seen. Did you watch The Idol? No, I actually haven't. But I know producer Tanya was, you know, very embedded in The Idol. And I just think Ooh. Lily Rose Depp is always like, you know, she's she's <laughs> really, like, I, I think, popular for a reason. There's yes. so much, like, dynamism on the screen. I have yeah. watched a trailer for it. See, I don't think I've seen her in anything, but anyone I know is like, she's she's got star power. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting in that I feel like, not to drag my other co-hosts, but the, the stranglehold that television and kind of high-quality television has had on the kind of media landscape is so big that we are talking about the idol on a film show. It's not TV, TV, TV. <laughs> it's true, it's true, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is rather like, you know, the way that uh, streaming makes TV shows work now is they're not kind of week by week serialized. Mm-hmm. It is kind of like one big story. I mean, I keep turning to Tanya to be like, is it one big story? Does it feel like a really long movie? Okay, yeah, and we're yeah. getting nods. I think it's then- just because <laughs> there's like the habit of like binge watching as well, which yeah. like creates a movie out of the episodes. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's like DIY, like build your own movie. Which I feel like a lot of people will be like banging their head against the wall by me saying that like just like the viewing <laughs> habits can transform something into a film. No, by it's that true. virtue watching lots of advertisements yeah. <laughs> all together on the infomercial channel. But it's also hard. Like this is also the thing of like not being in cinemas. Like I love movies. I'm someone who's so pro movies. I'm here. Monday morning we're doing it. But it, like, it is hard when you're at home and you're like, I'm hungry, I'm going to get a snack from the fridge. Like, oh my God, I just got an Instagram notification. Like, this happened, this happened. Like, the adverts and pauses actually are helpful for home streaming habits in yeah. a way. Like, I love sitting down and watching the world's slowest movie, but it is hard when you're at home and you're like, oh, I can hear someone's upstairs. Like, I have to go do something. Like, so I understand that as a... As a as a method. Anyway, we br- I feel like we didn't even mention The Isle has not been renewed for season two, which is interesting because it was so... Hot, hot, hot. Yeah. I mean, it premiered at 
Was it at Venice or Cannes? It premiered at one of the big international film festivals, which is detailed in the video. Have you heard that weird, like, Madonna weekend Playboy Cardi song that they made for the... Oh, yeah, I have. <laughs> it's very catchy, but the video is all of them at the premiere of it, which is interesting, too, because the weird collapse of, like, reality and fiction, where it's, like, they're all themselves at this red carpet premiere, but it sounds like that is also what the show is. That's my favourite form of collapse. Just complete meta-fictionality, blurring, yeah. you know, dissolved in the meta-world, you know. <laughs> Are we binary digits? That's what it's all about. That's what I've been It's really not what that's all about, but, you know, there's I always mean, <sighs> the possibility of matrices. I love that. <laughs> this is the pie you were talking about before. Made, like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're in I, a numbers world. Yeah, unfortunately or not, like, geometry is just something that I see everywhere, so I'm just going to somehow bring it up even for Lily Rose Depp. I love that. I mean, she probably has a very symmetrical face. Oh, she does. You know, she's she's got the model matrixy of, of faces. <laughs> well, so I, I feel bad that I can't really weigh in on the idol. I mean, I'm interested. My partner very much wants to watch it, and maybe I will watch it, but I'm not a big TV person. Like, I find it hard to... find it hard to, like... Because, actually, this is, like, what you were saying about shows being cancelled, right? I was thinking about it, I was like, a movie is, like, a one-night stand. You're one and done. We saw each other. That was it. Bye. A TV show is like a relationship that you enter in that you know will end in divorce. And in an instance like this, it ends shockingly. They walk out on you. You know, you're like waiting for season two of your love and then it's shut down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That that was a very powerful analogy. I think that everyone, you know, loves watching a, a messy divorce in a way just by mm. virtue of being like, oh, the controversy surrounding things yes. being cancelled or not. Like, And I think being like left on red with, like, mm. this kind of, like, show means that if they do want to come back, oh, my gosh, it's just going to be such a whirlwind. So, sometimes totally. it's, like, we need that divorce to really know that they care about each other. The most toxic totally. relationship ever. Yeah, being away from each other made you realise that you... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, will it happen? I don't know. I feel like it got very badly reviewed. Yeah, I just... I'm always on edge for the fictionality to be turned back into reality, you know? Well, touch wood. We can hope so, maybe. Um... So, with take two? Yeah, let's... Yeah, take let's, two. What are we looking at today for take two? Let me just run this. Take two. Ah, oh, love that little robot voice. Um, so, the Sydney Underground Film Festival is about to take place at Dendi. Uh, it is running from Thursday to Sunday, so that's September 7 to 10. It's fun because, you know, with the big... Sydney Film Festival that we had recently, Melbourne International Film Festival that happened recently. These are kind of big festivals that generally kind of work with names. You know, you're like, oh, I'm so excited to see the new, you know, Francois Ozon film or this person is in this. They're kind of banked often, not all the time, but sometimes there's a way to kind of go through those festivals with kind of big names. Then there are these smaller festivals where it's much more obscure filmmakers, sometimes people's first films. Um, it's quite interesting to go through those things. So I've seen a few of them because of my um, beautiful, lucky, exciting access to screeners. But I'm going to talk about two today. And I was thinking of maybe starting with a film called Satan Wants You. Joining me now from Victoria is Michelle Smith, a one-time victim of abuse by a satanic cult, and Dr. Lawrence Pazder, the psychiatrist who helped her come to terms with that nightmare. The book is called Michelle Remembers. Michelle Remembers. We wrote it together. together. The first publicized account of such rituals. They would put me in cages, sacrifice animals, eating feces and orgies and dismembering fetuses. These were things that you experienced. That's right. 
So, Satan wants you. Uh, in 1980, after years of therapy unearthing lost memories, Canadian woman Michelle Smith published a novel uh, about the findings she, she undertook in these therapy sessions with her psychiatrist, Dr. Lawrence Pazda. The book was published under the name Michelle Remembers and went into great detail, as you heard there, d- uh, transcribing those tape recordings of her sessions uh, where she unveiled kind of unbelievable torture by a, a satanic cult when she was a child. Uh, so this is actually a documentary. I was talking to Tanya, wonderful producer Tanya before, who was asking if this was a documentary. Yes, this is a, a real documentary. And it's quite interesting because uh, it talks about kind of from the very beginning of Michelle and Dr. Pazda's partnership, moving through to kind of unsurprisingly some of the very big uh, falsehoods, uh, discrepancies in reports um, that happened with that, but also how this book, Michelle Remembers, became a huge bestseller and really kind of crystallised, especially in America, but worldwide, and often through appearances by Michelle and her doctor, Pazda, on TV shows. This very sensationalised, you know, a current affair-style TV shows, um, where people are saying, I mean, that trailer is pretty intense like there's some intense claims happening there and it ignited this kind of big moment in the 1980s of the satanic panic where you know people were worried that their teenagers were you know being converted to satanism by heavy rock music and there were you know discreet cults uh running and you know torturing children in daycare centers that was all greatly exaggerated and kind of generally not true um I mean, I find documentaries quite hard to assess on the same way as fiction films because I feel like I'm assessing a real story, which I find really hard. Um, But I think this is a really, like, compelling story. Sometimes it's very kind of, like, made by Netflix 2018, like, true crime visuals. But I think the story is just so interesting and kind of does describe a lot of what's happening what has happened in culture and how that informs the present. There's a kind of section at the end where it talks about how this ripples through from this kind of paranoid satanic panic period that has gone through to the kind of QAnon of the present, these kind of right-wing conspiracy theories. Um, I definitely think it's a worthwhile kind of twisty true crime with a, like, exorcist drizzle on top. Yeah, well, Satanism is obviously such, like, it. it's in flux throughout history as uh, kind of manifesting in these huge periods of controversy. So, it's always so interesting to, yeah, see the way in which it's, like, affected people, obviously, so deeply, because mm. there is this huge fear about it, which I think is kind of, like, underpinning the, the collective consciousness. And so, we've got to really look into that more. I, I was definitely entranced by, yeah, just the kind of, brazen line of questioning that was like underpinning the whole thing like one would think that wow that would really take like the legal proceedings and the media like following all of these like not just like allegations but when it's like one's own life and like that always just makes it so much more like suspenseful like it becomes its own horror film like in it it being true fully well it's, it's so interesting as well in that like yeah on the one hand that it's like for a lot of these claims to happen like there needs to be this really evangelical you need to believe in this very evangelical truth because in this in the Michelle Remembers book she talks about how the Virgin Mary appeared to her and like spoke to her in French like all these key parts of the story rely on a true belief in the kind of evil of Satan and the like pure truth of God um, which is so interesting but yeah I, I think what actually is good about this documentary that I really liked is it doesn't feel 
very judgmental in that it's like obviously ultimately the kind of outcomes of this book were really negative um but i think it does take a lot of people at face value and it talks to some people who do still believe in this truth and kind of treats them you know like as reasonable people it never feels like it's kind of like parading out the the people and even though you know obviously i do not quite believe in this and i think it's uh in, in michelle remembers you know her story um and i think it's outcomes were very negative i think it's a very kind of like evenly measured documentary which i think is helpful as well to like reach this level of truth rather than the film telling you they're like look at this loser it's kind of more like this is this person's story this is what happened a hundred percent i think yeah that distribution of like unbiased perspectives is so Mm. important in documentaries that's kind of like the the central playing field that that we want to get we're going to take a quick break now you are listening to movies 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 with me deb marcus in the studio joined by gus mcgrath we are going to be looking at hippo directed by mark uh, rapaport after the break we're going to listen to a little cheeky track by apex twin in a room 7f760 (laughs) you're listening to fbi 94.5 at the moment on take two we are looking at Hippo, which is this really creepy looking film that gives me the heebie-jeebies, just with the characters being such a spitting image of, you know, chilling narcissism. This one is directed by Mark Rappaport, and here is a little cut from the film. When do you think World War III is going to happen? Mom? Well, it's hard to say, dear. I'm asking for your best guess. Do you think it might be in my lifetime? I suppose it could. That's what I feared. Okay, I need a gun. What does this mean you need a gun? It's a funny question coming from a Hitler youth like you. My parents were Hungarian. Wow, that's actually a pretty accurate summary of the film. So this is another film playing at the Sydney Underground Film Festival called Hippo. I I really liked it. It's a debut feature by American director Mark H. Rappaport, which was co-written with the star Kimball Farley, who you heard there asking about World War III. Um... It's a very strange story of a kind of proto-incel teen who is obsessed with video games. It's very kind of like 90s, potentially, uh, who thinks that he might be an alien deity. He lives in an isolated suburban home who you heard actually there all in that scene with his mother who supports his kind of manic desires uh, and his adopted Hungarian sister who is wonderfully deadpan played by Lilla Kislinger who I actually think looks a lot like this is such a wow talk about right-wing dog whistles this is like such a kind of cinephile dog whistle she really resembles French new wave muse and Wierzemski if that means anything to someone listening bless you Andre Shannon maybe uh I really like this film. It kind of sits in this very strange point between, like, Pasolini's Tiarama, the films of Harmony Corinne, and then also Step Brothers. It really made me think about Step Brothers in this weird way. Um, How did... What was the overlap of the Venn diagram between Step Brothers and this yeah. film? Yeah. Well, so, have you... Have you seen that early Yorgos Lanthimos film called Dogtooth? I have not, but that, that rings a bell. It's quite good. So, Dogtooth is about these kind of... Uh, he's Greek. It's about this, like, Greek family... Their, his children grow this this older man and his wife their children grow up in this kind of totally gated locked off household and they are kept treated as children even though they're young adults and they're taught lots of different words you know someone will say pen and the, their parents will tell them that a pen is called a microphone 
So they have this really kind of strange, they're like adult children. And a lot of people I've seen comparing Hippo to that, but I don't think that's quite accurate because they're not quite children. They're like these perpetual, like teenagers who are allowed. I mean, mainly this kind of main boy is this perpetual teenager who's just kind of allowed to be totally immature but he's not quite childish. And I was like, it's actually like stepbrothers. You know how in stepbrothers, they're kind of these like immature, like adult babies. Yeah. With kind yes. of like ego problems. I'm well acquainted with that, with that uh, personality type or just person type. Well, yeah, it's, it's like much more, it's like slightly more plausible. And I think that's why this kind of the build into this kind of belief in being an alien deity is kind of satisfying because it kind of lives through this weird outcome of, like, we've all had, you know, friends who have brothers or something like this, or, like, someone you maybe went to high school with. It's quite satisfying seeing that move to this kind of absurd place. Um, And I think it's really well acted. I mean, some of it's quite heavy-handed. The kind of big star, I guess, is um, Julia Roberts' brother, Eric Roberts, who does the voiceover. Um, He, like, narrates the whole film, which I think is a bit heavy-handed, but as a kind of first film, I think it's really good. It's between you getting the heebie-jeebies, Step Brothers, and that trailer, I think that's a kind of quite accurate um, frame of it. Uh, I'd really recommend seeing it. It's definitely very jagged and kind of awkward like that. Um, but I think that's a really hard tone to kind of get right. Definitely. And I think that sometimes having the like edge of discomfort is kind of central to like the the way that it's being siphoned into absurdity anyway. Yeah, totally. And it's such a specific tone as well. Like, you know, it's not like... You know, I love, like, I mean, talk about TV, like, Curb Your Enthusiasm or something, which is just, like, painfully awkward. Oh, my God, biggest cringe, but in a way where I want to cringe more. Yeah, whether this is, like, not quite cringe, it's more just like, oh, what's what's the deal? Which it kind of, I don't know, I find it very, I found it very absorbing. It's definitely, you know, kind of like a black comedy, but compared to the other stuff we have been and will be talking about today, it's kind of the most upbeat of all the films. <laughs> um yeah, look, I definitely recommend it. Like, two things I would say. Satan Wants You and Hippo, if either of those things appeal to you. And they're quite different, but I think they're worth checking out at Sydney Underground Film Festival. I also really want to see this movie called Conan that's, like, um, a kind of gender-swapped reimagining of Conan the Barbarian by this, like, really theatrical French filmmaker Bertrand Bonello. Um, I'm very excited to see that. But I think, I don't know, this is a little kind of uh, buffet platter of potential Sydney Underground Film Festival things that I've enjoyed engaging with. Yeah, I definitely, I think that getting the heebie-jeebies is a now, a now moment, you know? Yeah. And we've got to jump on that. <laughs> Let's move on to Spotlight. Spotlight. Wow. I, every time that intro, I'm I'm trying to just pick out little bits, you know. It's reverberative. It's almost like Bjork herself, themselves put all of the spatiation, spatialization into that. You know, I feel like it was recorded all throughout different corners of the room. Yes. Yeah. It's like, huh, huh. Yeah. Um, maybe that sense of paranoia is a good start. I was speculating as to whether I wanted to talk about this. You know, all those discussions about whether... Um, spotlighting or framing kind of bad things, whether that's, like, helpful or good or bad. Um, So I was worried about talking about this film today, Sound of Freedom, uh, because I was like, ultimately, is engaging with this going to be positive or negative? In the end, I decided, since it is this kind of 
specific cultural phenomena that's happening, I wanted to engage with it. So let's let's jump into the trailer and then get talking. <laughs> Why are you doing it? Because God's children are not for sale. It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. For homeland security, you know we can't go off rescuing Honduran kids in Colombia. This job tears you to pieces. I mean, God, even the tone in that, you can kind of hear the, uh, you know, classically patriotic uh, American action movie sound. Um, but why I think... Well, I mean, this this film has had a very different experience to a kind of traditionally uh, morally suspect American action film. Uh, it's kind of almost the Citizen Kane of QAnon dog whistles. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's, that's what I would say. So, this film is now screening in Australia, and I guess that's noteworthy or interesting because it's been a very big American phenomenon. So, the film is the um, quote-unquote very true... Uh, heavy emphasis on the quotes there, a story of a, a real-life person named Tim Ballard. So, it's not a documentary. It's a kind of, you know, retelling of this person's apparent life um, who worked against child trafficking with an organization called Operation Underground Railroad. Um, though it is worth noting that he is no... Which the film does not mention, but he's no longer a member of that organization after several female co-workers made allegations against him and he was asked to leave. Um So, again, on its face, you're kind of like, okay, like, it's a relatively normal, if not, like, somewhat uncomfortable uh, content action movie about human trafficking, um, which, again, to be fair, like, human trafficking is a real issue that happens in the world. But this is why it's interesting. On its face, you can kind of see this movie and be like, okay, normal movie that exists. Um, If not, you know, it's kind of heavy-handed patriotism. But if you even scratch vaguely under the surface, I mean, it it becomes quite obvious that there is a lot more (laughs) going on with this film. Um... Because, again, so the the kind of QAnon stuff is not in the film. The film itself is actually quite apolitical for what really touts itself as a message film. And it is so heavily branded as a message film. In The um, the trailer ends with the star Jim Caviezel, um, who's best known for playing Jesus in Mel Gibson's uh, Passion of the Christ. Um, the trailer ends with him speaking to camera going like, this is the most important movie that we've ever had, and it's important that you go out and you see this movie and and get the story out there. Um, Which, again, already is, like, kind of interesting because the story is, like, quite exaggerated and untrue. Very much heroizes someone who's, like, very much not a good person. Um, But, yeah, digging in, it becomes quite obviously uh, problematic. So, Tim Ballard, who it's based on, who, again, has not only been kicked out of this organization anyway, but um, has very, very strong ties to the right-wing community. Um, He screened this film for Donald Trump in his house because they're good friends. He's been very involved in... um, He's friends with Jordan Peterson. He's all very much in that community. um, And he personally asked Jim Caviezel to star in the film, uh, who is an outspoken, passionate QAnon supporter. Um, he's spoken about uh, adrenochroming, which is the kind of... And this is where the thing... This is what's quite interesting about the film is because on its face value, like, okay, human trafficking is a real issue that happens, but it slowly points towards and the involvement of the people in it as a kind of bridge towards these more extreme theories, such as 
adrenochroming that Jim Caviezel has talked about, which is um, the belief that uh, liberal elites are, like, torturing children to then harvest their blood when it has the most adrenaline, because if they drink the blood, then they become young. Why does this just, like, remind me of, like, blood libel or just, like, yeah, satanic stuff again? It's It was very interesting. I watched the screener for this immediately after I watched Satan Wants You, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, I see so the connections many... now. There's new, a new addition to the Venn diagram of it's similarity. It's so interesting. And it's funny that it, it's playing at Dendi. I mean, God, like, Underground Film Festival and the Underground Railroad all happening at once. But uh, Dendi is owned by Icon... Uh, they used to be called I- Icon Productions, but now they are called... Where, where's their name? Now they're called Icon Film distri- Distributing. So they're a film distributor uh, owned by Mel Gibson, who owns Dendi. Um, and he's personally seen that this film is um, shared in Australia. Um, and I even got a sponsored post by Mel Gibson addressing the camera going, this is an important film that we all must see and talk about. And it really has... Um, Jim Caviezel and Tim Ballard have been on the, like, right-wing advertising channels to really get this film out there. It's also very easy, like, it's easy to argue against criticisms of this film because anyone who goes, this film is kind of a, like, QAnon dog whistle, people then go, so you're okay with child trafficking? I think it sort of reminded me of Taken with, like, just, yeah, like, that was, like, a massive overlap for me, being like, of course these are central issues, and of course they need more awareness, that's something that I'm, like, angry about all the time, but it's just, like, in what context and, like, how is this story being spun, and, like, to me it's just the way that, yeah, at the end of the trailer, when, like, the audience was being addressed in that call to arms, it's like, well, this call to arms is kind of, like, a few hundred years late, like, why why is this now, like, so pivotal? It, It seems, like, fabricated urgency. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think is so interesting, or, like, the kind of true crux of it, right, is that this film is... I mean, it's such a strange comparison, but I was thinking about In My Blood It Runs, just comparatively in that they are both films, Sound of Freedom and In My Blood It Runs are both films that are, quote, message films that have hopefully raised awareness about an issue and make someone provoke action. Uh... In My Body Runs, if you don't know, was a documentary that came out a few years ago about a young Indigenous boy and how he kind of is very alienated from the education system and how many kind of young First Nations kids are, like, pushed towards incarceration because it's so built into the system and, you know, the Australian system so much values kind of colonial education, learning, being. Um, And thinking about the way that it was so clear how you can be involved, petitions that can happen, how we need to... The clear outcomes of, of, in my blood, it runs where we need to lower the incarceration age because, you know, 13, 14-year-old kids being in jails is, like, not right. The outcomes of that are so right. Where The Sound of Freedom ends with buy another ticket to this movie, it doesn't address anything specific about trafficking. It actually just exists to kind of heroize Tim Ballard, Ballard... And it just generates profit for him because if the idea is to get the message out there by buying more tickets to watch the movie, it just means he gets more money. There's actually no outcomes. It's like you're saying it's a manufactured panic because, of course, people go, oh, my God, I think children being trafficked is bad. Of course it's bad. It's such an easy sore spot that then it just generates more money. 
Yeah, so so, yeah, it's like when I said fabricated urgency, I guess I want to even clarify that it's, it is urgent. It's yeah. not that it's not urgent. And that's like the irony to utilizing this sense of like guilt about maybe yeah. not prioritizing these problems within our day to day life because, you know, we're, we're sort of taught not to prioritize them because it's yeah. not profitable for us to worry about them until we're told to worry about it yeah it's the insincerity of the urgency yeah, yeah. which it's weird and so like i was like you know like i will watch this film because i think it is this cultural moment and like reading about it within like 20 minutes of reading about it i was like this movie is obviously like kind of a bit bs but i did watch it for the sake of kind of like wanting to you know be journalistically informed uh and it's I, like it's also just a really bad movie. Like I think I was trying to think about like okay, on one hand, can I get this kind of like will this be in the way that Taken is you know kind of like a bit of a silly like action guilty pleasure, or will it at least can I understand why it would convince people? Because again, there's like big conspiracies like in America. There's lots of conspiracies where people be like, wow, the theater turned the aircon off. I guess they the elites don't want us to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, someone even sent me a video in Dendi where a man kind of stood at the front of the cinema and went, they won't turn the aircon off on us here because Mel Gibson runs the cinema and he's a good guy. Oh my gosh. Not so aircon wild. man. The aircon, I mean, it's like, I love, yeah, the kind of victim, victimization of being like, if the aircon is bad, then they want us out. I think yeah. it's just this paranoia, right? And that's what they're utilizing as like a, a source of profit. Totally. This, yeah. This big pool of paranoid people. And yeah. that's some plosive consonant alliteration for your Monday morning. Well, and it's, and it's all the paranoia. Like, the film actually, like, because it's not a kind of garish action movie. Like, the film, genuinely, if you took out shots of Jim Caviezel sadly looking at children, it would be 70% shorter. And oh, then the no. rest of it is really, really gross. Like, it's ac- it feels like an exploitation film because there is lots of really graphic, leering, longly drawn-out shots showing the abuse of these children like it's it's a film that pivots between boring and disgusting wow i really don't recommend it and hopefully kind of us talking about it if it comes up can inform i mean again i feel like i'm being like here's the message like do whatever you want in your life but i i genuinely think this movie is ill-informed uh quite reckless and like really just an ego project for a right-wing like freak yeah yeah, you heard it first here on Movies, Movies, Movies with Gus McGrath and me, Deb Marcus, on Monday mornings at FBI Radio. Thanks so much, Gus. I think Thanks that, for me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Huh. And you can tune in next week on Movies, Movies, Movies for more gossip and hot takes on recent films showing and also TV shows that may or may not have been cancelled in the interim. We're going to play a track now. This one here is by Spelling. It is called They Start the Dance. You're on FBI 94.5. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.